Welcome to Sustainable Northfield, a podcast project based in Northfield, Minnesota, focused on making sustainability education more accessible and interesting for everyone. On this episode, Chloe Trubenbach speaks with Andre Savanich, Rick Estenson, and Beth Kalistad about electric vehicles. Andre and Rick first sat down with me to talk about the planning and reasoning behind purchasing an electric vehicle. Yeah, um, I can start. Uh, my name is Andre Savanich, and I have been an electric vehicle owner for a little over two years now. And I own a, actually, I lease, my wife and I lease a Tesla Model 3. And I'm Rick Estenson, and I want to be an electric vehicle owner, um, but I have not broken down to make that purchase yet. Uh, I've been studying what Andre has taught me and a few other friends. Um, I am very close to putting money down on an electric pickup. So not sure I'm going to do the cyber truck, though, by Tesla. My wife says it's just too ugly. But the lightning from Ford, she can live with. So I'm making sure it can meet my standards. That's great. Yeah. So uh, electric vehicles are a part of the city of Northfield's plan to transition to a carbon-free community. Um, what, what made you, Andre, decide to get an electric vehicle? Well, it actually, it, was, it started with Rotary. So our local Rotary Club um, created a climate action team, so a Rotary climate action team, and I became part of that. And we discussed projects that we could do or sponsor as a Rotary Club. And we, we landed on this um, electric vehicle charging stations. Rick was heavily involved with planning of that. Um, and so in the process of doing some of the research for that project, I went out and test drove a Tesla Model 3 and I was sold in about 5.3 seconds. It was, it was, for me, it was an environmental decision. Um, it's something I could do to you know, take part in reducing carbon, but uh, that's, that's sort of what brought me around to getting an electric vehicle. Yeah, yeah, it seems like um, a lot of people in the decision-making process kind of see this as a really big monetary investment. Um, if you don't mind me asking, how did you plan out the costs? Um, maybe like ticket costs versus maintenance costs. How did, how did you reckon with all of that as you were making this purchase? Um, I think for me, it was, um, I, I researched a couple of cars, so I think you have to just get, get your head around that, you know, can I even, is a new car in my future? And so we had planned, my wife and I had planned to, to get a new car. And so once I became involved with the Rotary Climate Action Team, that's when I decided, well, our next car is going to be electric. And then from there, it's really matter of pricing out different models and they are you know you, you can get a combustion engine vehicle for much less you know some makes and models um, but when you factor in you know the lack of you know, maintenance costs gasoline savings yes you'll have some extra you know electricity costs but from my perspective in two years it's, it's very minimal um, and so, and we ended up leasing. I, I, I compared the car that we lease today with other models and makes. And actually, the Tesla Model 3 
leased for less than several other electric vehicles, like the Chevy Bolt, for example, um, with apples to apples comparison. Now, I don't know if that's still true, but that was true at the time that we purchased or, or leased our vehicle. So. Great. And Rick, how did you how did you settle on the pickup? Any any thoughts about cost go into that? Oh, yeah. Um, I, I think the uh, <clears throat> the cost of a new um, internal combustion engine pickup is uh, frankly not a lot different than what what the cost of a new Tesla kind of their middle of the road they had three models of the Tesla Cybertruck and the middle one was even less than what you would probably go pick off the line at uh, at a Ford dealership or a Chevy dealership for cost and then when you factor in the things that Andre just mentioned of maintenance and uh, gas costs, it that becomes a real no-brainer. Then you get to the whole range anxiety issue, and that's the part I'm still trying to get myself comfortable with. Um, <clears throat> and I understand, you know, a couple of factors are towing, and it's got plenty of torque to be able to tow whatever I need to tow. But how much will it affect my my mileage? and my range anxiety. So fortunately, I think as longer I've waited, we've had more options on where to go to be able to rapidly charge it up. So I'm quickly getting myself more comfortable with that end of the, uh, the problems. But gosh, I think uh, if Ford can kind of come in at a similar price point and a similar range, they're going to sell. They're going to sell a ton of them, and it, it's kind of where I've gotten to on on the pickup. For sure, yeah. I may not wait for a pickup if I could do that and and get by without having to haul things. But I'm a big guy. I need big things, so <clears throat> kind of comes with my personality, which is small, but I overcompensate. All right. Yeah. <laughs> Andre, uh, do you, um, where do you charge? Do you ever have range in, range anxiety? Um, yeah, it, it's happened before. We, um, so I charge at home. We, we've installed a, a charger in our home. Uh, the, what we did there for that is we had, um, I live in a townhouse. And so we wired, uh, we wired a, a 240 outlet to the garage. I hired an electrician to do that. And then we installed a charger there. So my routine is every night we take the dog out and then we plug in the car and get up the next morning and unplug the car and we're on our way. Um, the range anxiety thing is somewhat of a factor, although it really hasn't like uh, deterred us uh, too much. We, we, we've done a trip to the North Shore and we got it down to 1% and we sort of coasted into a Lutzen Resort. We, um, the, the challenge there was that the, the one, one of the disadvantages is the battery does draw a little bit more in the winter in the cold weather. So you have to account for that. That's a limitation. Um, but the ranges continue to increase as the technology gets better. Um, and so we, we really, um, it, we actually did, our electric car was the only car we had for about nine months. We were going to try to uh, actually just be a one car family and just use our electric car. Um, and then we got our, our second car back from uh, uh, 
Um, we had borrowed it to somebody and so we just haven't gotten rid of it yet. But um, so it's, it's a factor in, in terms of, um, it's a consideration. It's interesting Rick's point about as, you know, in terms of a pickup, if you're towing stuff through that, that can be another factor in, in range. So cold weather is a factor and, and yeah, I guess I hadn't thought about the towing thing, but uh, yeah, that certainly can be a factor too. So is the North Shore the furthest you've taken it or do you have plans to go further? Yeah, we're, uh, that is the furthest. And in late July, my wife and I are taking a two week road trip to California, Oregon. If it's not on fire, um, we're, we're gonna take a trip out there and just we'll, we'll learn more about like long road trips. Um, the car or the country on fire? Which one are you worried about? Uh, <laughs> I don't have to worry about my car. I don't think. <laughs> Boy, it's, but it's hot. I, I mean, I, th this is part of the reason why, you know, I, I was committed to getting an electric car. It's, it's something I felt like I could do to make an impact on, on climate change, which is an important issue for me. And, um, Andre, have you seen a reduction in your mileage with the use of the air conditioner more due to this? No, heat? hardly at all. And that I, I've been meaning to ask somebody who's much more technologically inclined than I am, but all of the uh, reduced battery uh, capacity seems to be in the winter tied to the heating system and all, virtually none from my observation in terms of air conditioning. That's good to know, especially in all this hot weather. <laughs> I might offer up um, another Rotarian. He is uh, out in Maine right now with his son, daughter, grandkids, and he and his wife drove out there with their Tesla. So I had a chance to ask him, how was that distance going? And he said, really not bad. There's, you know, Tesla helps you figure out when you're starting to get low and you should start looking for places, identifies where you might consider but he says, you got to stop for a break every now and again, anyway, on these long journeys. And by the time you either eat something or go to the bathroom or just go for a short walk, you've got, you've got the thing with the fast chargers pretty well back to where you want to be. So I found that an interesting comment I thought you might appreciate. For sure. Yeah. Thank you. It's interesting that the, the car is able to like, let you know when you need to go get a charge. Are there other resources or maybe apps that you, you use when you're looking for chargers? Yeah, so the Tesla so Tesla's a little different because they've created a network of fast chargers around the, all the interstates in the country and um, other countries too. But, you know, just taking the United States, for example, there's a whole network of Tesla superchargers. So our plan is when we do our road trip, we'll just be able to use the Tesla we have a screen on our car, we punch in our final destination, it'll recommend which chargers we should stop at and for how long we should charge. But outside of that, then there's a variety of other apps that will identify any public charger um, in the country really, as long as it's registered in the, um, in the system. And you can pull up any of those. And uh, so for example, if my wife and I are kind of going outside the, the the freeway system will probably pull up a, an app like the ChargePoint app or a PlugShare app. Those are two different apps. And we could find a place to have lunch that has a charger, for example. And we might just plug into that 
while we're eating lunch. Um, it may be not quite as fast as a Tesla supercharger, but um, you know the, the kind of the methodology is ABC always be charging, and so um, that's probably my my best advice. The other thing I've learned too is always to carry an extension cord in the car because uh, we stay at Airbnbs typically, and most Airbnb owners will be happy to let you plug into their outdoor outlet. Um, and granted, it's very slow. A normal you know 110 volt outlet is super slow, but you know, we did that in, did a weekend away in, in uh, early January when it was super cold and we traveled and we actually spent most of the day just sort of hiking around the Airbnb. So we were plugged in for like 24 hours, but we got, you know, 35 to 40% charge. And I actually never needed to use a charger, a public charger on that trip. So that was kind of nice. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I, I've heard that there's been recent like bills and, and policies being put in place to get even more charging infrastructure in, in the state. So I think Minnesota's on its way to, to supporting um, even more electric vehicle owners, which is really great. After speaking about statewide road trips, the conversation turned to the city's rotary and the work they are doing in the community. Rick, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the collaboration between the rotary and the city? You bet. So this happened and started about three years ago. We uh, we launched this Rotary Climate Action Team group, and our first project we thought we could find that was maybe bite size and yet meaningful was to uh, help help put in EV charging stations. And at first, we thought it would be businesses that would respond to our our offer to pay for maybe as much as two thirds of the project or three quarters of the project, depending on their distance to uh, where they were gonna put in this charging station. And we realized pretty quickly on that it was just too new a technology and too much risk for a lot of uh, businesses at that time. And instead our city uh, re was responding and looking at doing something like this anyway and owns a lot of the infrastructure when you think about it where people will want to go to park we were looking for a place frankly that was going to be highly visible and they too the city owned a lot of those highly visible locations because we wanted people um, as much as we wanted them to reduce their carbon uh, uh, we wanted to kind of bring a statement of this is important you need to learn about it you need to start preparing for it and jump on board. So it was, it was a bit of a media blitz that we thought would happen with uh, at least the, the conversation that it would cause. So I know there's, and, and by the way, we also said at the time um, that there are three charging levels. There's the one that Andre described from your 110 outlet. There's the fast chargers, and then there's something in between that's level two and that was the economical one for us to be able to work with. The other ones were, were way too high of a price point for what we thought we could accomplish. But uh, Rotary is good at raising money, raising awareness, and raising capital projects from start to finish. So that's how this thing, this connection with the city happened. We were fortunate in having uh, Beth Callistad and a very uh, open-minded, city council to this concept. So we found a very good location kind of right by Ames Park 
uh, right by the river as you come in, um, a two-port charging station. We investigated uh, who all the choices were for the city. They did their own due diligence as well to help reconfirm that. There was all already um, charge point um, in town. And so that's who we ended up going with uh, and expanding from Carlton's two, uh, uh, you know, single charge points, or uh, I guess they had room for four cars at the time to we've doubled the capacity with, with our two uh, locations now in about a year and a half. Both of them then have been with the city. And I, I think Rotary also, uh, be, you know, this is good for Northfield and Northfield's Rotary, but we didn't stop there. We saw this as something that was very transferable to other Rotary clubs in other parts of the world or the country. And so we've been working, um, you know, hard behind the scenes to try and uh, build that awareness and uh, capability. And we're happy to say we have a RCAT network now, Rotary Climate Action Team Network, that was um, probably more the work of a San Francisco Rotarian than, than us. But um, we've been involved in that. And there are 120 Rotary clubs around the country that have RCATs now and growing. And when I say around the country, I really should have said around the world because I think we're in five different countries if I've heard the numbers correctly. So it's something that's gonna take time. Unfortunately, I don't think many of us feel we have the time that it seems to be taking. We're anxious to get that built much more quickly uh, than, than what is happening. And uh, the heat of the summer, the, uh, the weather changes that we've been seeing here the last couple of years in particular are just evidence of more of this to come. Um, and that's already kind of locked in. So it's how much worse can it get uh, is what we all believe. But uh, we love to collaborate. Rotarians try and do that in a, a number of ways, both locally and internationally. So. What might you add, Andre? I think that's uh, that covers it. I mean, I, I think the encouraging thing is now Rotary is added as one of their pillars of focus is is environmental causes and climate change, and so um, that's um, I, I think that's significant, and I'm it makes me more proud to be a Rotarian than. Um, because I think it's an important issue that you know impacts a lot of the other good things that Rotarians do and the good work that we've done. So it would seem to me that a message we would both love to get out there, and we've both been involved in the uh, youth programs of Rotary. So we we're um, we're looking at Rotary as a long-term solution organization in this world, um, and it it's little bit by bit, step by step, sort of incremental change that Andre and I see. But um, we need more Rotarians. We need more people to come in and help add that perspective and uh, work alongside us with that perspective so that we aren't you know, doing things that your generation will look at and say, what were they thinking about? Why didn't, didn't they know this was obviously coming as well? 
and that we would as a generation care to make sure this didn't happen on top of it. So we don't profess to be all wise and knowing. Um, we, we really recognize uh, your generation to be the one that's going to be impacted by all that we've been doing more than ours <laughs> and should have a stake in the game. And we're saying, hey, this is a way to get it done. Come join us. Help us figure it out. It's for your best interest as well as ours. So um, that'd be my two-minute commercial. For sure. Yeah. Hey, support your local rotary. That is important stuff. I think um, that collaboration is so necessary to have like the wisdom and also the new ideas coming together. I think everyone is then doing their part to, to pull through. And I think that's really important. Does the Rotary have any plans going forward for electric vehicles or other climate action plans? Well, I'll, I'll start, Andre, you can chime in, but I, I think this Rotary Climate Action Team Network is one example of groups that are forming to try and both educate and create projects that are meaningful to do the downloading of the carbon that's out there. So it, it's not good enough just to stop the carbon from being, you know, from that creation. We got to start thinking about how do we capture it and um, reverse course, not just, uh, it's not good enough, the trajectory we're on. So um, I think there's, there's a number of other groups. Um, Environmental Sustainability Rotary Action Group, also known as SRAG, existed before our group formed and they've been instrumental and are international and recognized by Rotary International, which by the way is about a million two hundred thousand people in 20, 35,000 clubs in, I don't even know how many countries, 130, 40 countries around the world. So um, there's, there's people that are kind of the, I consider them the movers and the shakers, not the owners, but the movers and shakers of the communities they live in um, that are making Rotary happen. And uh, this interconnectedness, we have annual conferences that we get together on, but there's, I think we've learned through the last year and a half that there's, there's a great deal we can do through Zoom and through events like this to just educate ourselves, doesn't matter where you are, uh, should be able to have a really good quality program and learn from one another. So I think it's happening. As Andre said earlier, we have it now as one of our pillars, which gives us access to the, the treasuries of Rotary that have accumulated over the years and can be used towards projects. Very important step. So the local Rotary Club here and the city of Northfield are sponsoring an EV car show this fall. This car show is called Recharge Northfield EV Experience Expo, and it's a collaboration between the Rotary Club, the City of Northfield, Recharge Minnesota, and Northfield Shares. It takes place on October 23rd at Greenvale Park Elementary School from 10 a.m. until 1 p.m. And so there will be a variety of opportunities to talk to EV owners and, and maybe drive some cars, and we hope to have some um, dealers there with cars um, and additional information about electric vehicle ownership. And um, so that's a, something maybe people can pencil their calendar in. At this point in the conversation, Beth Callistad joined us to give an update on what the city hopes to see as Northfield moves forward with electric vehicle planning and infrastructure. 
Uh, well, I think one thing that we're looking at is what can we do with our own city fleet? And so how do we start to make that transition as we purchase vehicles? And, you know, we don't purchase a new vehicle every year for everything. And so that that's a transition process. Um, what infrastructure do we need at city buildings to make that happen? Um, and, and what are the functions that those vehicles need to perform? And so for some of them, it may make sense to go to an EV right now. And for others, it, there may not be a logical um, replacement at this time, but we're going to continue to look for that and, and to budget for that. Um, and then I think we would also like to continue to see um, how we can, um, what updates we need to do for our ordinances to make it easier for people who are doing building projects or installing vehicle charging stations to know uh, what they can and can't do. Um, signage and locations and placement and all that kind of thing. Um, and then I think just continuing to see how can we promote that as we're um, working on transportation infrastructure um, throughout. So my, my grand hope is that maybe at some point we can have some um, electric vehicles at the transit hub, or maybe there's some car sharing opportunities, things like that. So we um, don't have a lot of specifics yet but definitely in our consciousness. That's great. Yeah, I think uh, Rick said earlier, it's a, it's a long process to get things like this done. So um, I'm glad that there's organizations like the Rotary or, and also the city that are in it for the long haul, making all these changes. So that's great. But um, what can someone do uh, as they start planning um, an electric vehicle purchase? What, can, what is maybe a tip you have for them? I would say start with test driving a car. Um, for me, the everything changes um, when you drive a vehicle, electric vehicle. Um, even though it's a car and you know it drives like a car, um, the concept that there's no engine and there's no transmission and there's no um, you know one tenth of the moving parts of a regular car is kind of mind blowing and. For me, you know, the, the decision to make that purchase or lease was environmental. Um, I also was addicted to the speed of the car. Um, so my car is, is fast. It's, it goes zero to 60 in 5.3 seconds. And so that's faster than most uh, any production gas car. Um, so there's that. Um, but I, I, I do think that that gets you down the, the path of starting to think about that. Um, I would also encourage people to look at leasing. Um, for me, leasing was a way to not have to fork out a huge amount of um, capital right away. And I also think for me, it was a good choice because I wanna see how the technology develops over the next three to five years. And so leasing was an inex a less expensive way of, of being able to do that. So. Um, those would be my, my tips. And I, I think people have to factor in the cost of operating into their numbers. They don't often do that. They, uh, they don't figure out what their cost of gas and oil changes and all the other things that go wrong with engines. Um, and, and that number is out there too, that once people start playing around with some of those costs in their equation, I think it's gonna be a lot easier to get comfortable with, with whatever um, inhibitions you're, you know, you're getting from the electric vehicle. 
Can I jump in on that too? Uh, maybe just to give you some specific examples. Um, I'm glad Rick brought that up because I've sort of spaced that out a little bit. But in terms of the cost, so a lot of people ask me, well, how much cost is there to owning electric vehicle. So in two years that we've leased our car, I've paid less than $100 in charging fees outside of my home charger. Um, now, granted, I get, I've get i gotten some referrals that I get free mileage from from Tesla, but the reality is there's really, very, there's a lot of free stations around the country that you can plug into. Um, brewery in Moose Lake is free. The, the stations at the U of M where I park periodically are free. So it's, it's really, the cost savings is there. Um, I don't know that that's gonna continue, but at least right now, that's a factor. And I would say I probably, we, we have maybe 10 to $20 a month additional in our electric bill per month. So it's not a, it's not a prohibitive uh, cost. And we signed up for a solar garden and we're saving about $8 a month through the solar garden. It's almost a wash. Um, so I'll just, I wanted to offer some specific examples because I get that question a lot. Hey, Andre, since you love speed, do you care disclosing the amount of the speeding tickets you've had to pay with your Tesla? I'm teasing. I've been of caught yet. <laughs> so I, and I don't want to propose that, you know, running from the law is a good idea or anything like that. So I'll just leave it there. Yeah. The, the Northfield Police Department thanks you for that one. <laughs> um, I I don't yet own an electric vehicle myself, but I guess I think one a couple things that I've heard from people to to be thinking about too is you know think about how you're going to use it. Where are the charging stations if you are going for a longer distance? Um, when I was working outside of Northfield and I was considering an electric vehicle, the, the space where I was at did not have a charging option. And at that time, um, the vehicles that were in my price range didn't have a far enough range. Now, in a few years, that has changed. Um, so, you know, just be, be thinking about how you're going to use the vehicle. Um, and is it going to meet? Is it going to meet the needs of of what you want to do? Like you would hopefully for any car. Thank you so much to Andre, Rick, and Beth for joining us on this podcast, and thank you listeners for listening. If you're looking for more information about the Electric Vehicle Car Show or the work the Rotary is doing, check the links in the description. Make sure you keep an eye out for our next episode of Sustainable Northfield, where we make sustainability education more accessible and interesting for everyone. Thank you.